Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Everybody, welcome to episode uh, 40 of Honest Retail. I'm cracking up here really quick because we were just, uh, we befuddled the uh, the intro a little bit, but we're, we're all back on track here for episode 40. Uh, excited to be joined on a Thanksgiving week, uh, as always, with CJ and Taylor. Taylor, CJ, what is the plans for Thanksgiving uh, coming up here in, in 48 hours? Go ahead, Taylor. I'm attempting to make a French onion stuffing recipe. It's combining two things that I love. I will eat French onion anywhere in the world, any time of the day. There are no time parameters around when to eat French onion. And I love stuffing. And Seb, my husband, found a French onion stuffing recipe. Let me preface that I have not cooked in probably about a year and a half. So I hope that everyone else eats everything else. And if anyone is experimental and in the mood to be courageous, they swing by my booth. And I will let you know how the French onion stuffing comes out. But that's my efforts as of tomorrow afternoon. Do you, do you go somewhere or do you host at your place or what? No, I'm in New Jersey. I don't have room for that. I have no doors in my loft. <laughs> Let alone a place to house people. <laughs> I, I never proactively invited anyone over my house to stay ever or even come over. There's just no space for it. Uh, no, I mean, um, my family's from around Ocean City, New Jersey. So I've been out here for a few days. And so everyone's coming. Yeah, down here. What about you, CJ? Um, Thanksgiving for my family is like more important than Christmas. Um, So I'll be leaving at some point today to drive up towards the mountains. Um, I think my parents are doing some renovation. Um, So my mom rented an Airbnb not that far from her house which is actually kind of a wonderful stress reduction tool for her, I suppose, because of the amount of people that come over for this and I can just have the cleaners come extra. But, and like, I haven't told my wife this, like my, my entire parents' house is all just my wife bait. Like they heard she liked hot tubs. So they installed a giant hot tub overlooking the lake. Like they heard that she wasn't quite thrilled with like some of the beds and some of the rooms. So they replaced all the beds. Like it's all just a giant scheme to get my wife to come over more. And, um, She's driving up there even before I can today because I've got a number of meetings. And I don't think that my mother has told her that the hot tub and the rental isn't working. And I'm not going to tell her that because that might just get her to like cruise right on by and go to her parents' house. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll see how this all works out. Um, might might have to be like renting a, a hotel near there so she can is hot it, tub. Is it a community effort for like making the food? Are you jumping in or is it mostly your your mom? Um, I mean, every, I, I I have I have a role. And that is bring the actual dinner rolls as well as all the all all the alcohol for the for the event, um, and and the rest is is largely folks that have been coming for almost like thirty or forty years now. My dad had the 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 luck to be able to go to like middle school, high school, college, and graduate school with his two best friends, <laughs> and they all happen to live in the same area too. So they they've been doing Thanksgiving together for since well before I was born. So. And, and I'm almost, oh my God, I'm almost 40. Um, so they've been doing the same Thanksgiving for like like 50 years. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm more of a Thanksgiving fan than a Christmas fan, for sure. I like like the the, the the time leading up to Christmas is always fun, but 
like Thanksgiving to me, it's like it's it's right up there with Halloween. I gotta prioritize that as like the the go-to holiday. So very excited to to start cooking turkey one in the brine yesterday. And I'm, I'm I'm ready to go. So I I to nobody's shocked do all the cooking for Thanksgiving and take a lot of pride in it as Taylor is probably shaking her head. So I'm uh, I'm I'm always excited to to take over for Thanksgiving and not let anybody else do anything. And that's kind of my personality. I did uh, kind of going straight into like brands that uh, that kind of caught our eye this week. So I was shopping last night for Thanksgiving at Wegmans. I'm not usually at Wegmans. Uh, but was at there last night and I picked up the Grillo's uh, Pickle de Gallo and might be the best product I've tried this year. Pickle yeah. de Gallo. Pickle de Gallo. Yeah. Pickle de Gallo. It was so I, good. I loved it. It was loved so it. good. It's like, it's kind of funky on first bite and I was surprised there's no tomatoes in it. It's all just pickles, but it's so, it's so freaking good. It's awesome. I'm going to finish it today, but it was, it was very good. Like legit, maybe like top new thing I've tasted this year. Uh, and it's definitely going to be like a go-to like for like every single Sunday and stuff like that. It was awesome. I uh, feel like Grillo's yeah. is just like very quietly. They are. An absolute much. like juggernaut. Because <laughs> they have King's Hawaiian now, right? The Grillo's bought King's Hawaiian or was it the other way around? Um, but I know. I, I know. Like I, I just feel like I feel like they've got like a couple right. things like. Like I was having this conversation with someone from a, a wine perspective, like you simply can't have a wine set without anything from Duckhorn. Like you have to have decoy. You can't have a wine set without it. I feel like you can't have a grocery store without Grillo's, Pickles, and Kings of Wine. So they should just keep, you know, I, I, I love the strategy. So they were acquired by King uh, Kings Wine last year. Um, yeah. So we obviously didn't cover them pod. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel like that's like a, it's like kind of an early exit for like them just yeah. now picking up speed. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm looking at like the package that they use for this press release and it's a Nickelodeon Rugrats one they did because of like the pickles. Um, and so that's pretty funny. But yeah, like uh, it seems like um, I'm kind of surprised, but maybe we're just seeing it so much with the infusion of you know cash from King's Hawaiian. So uh, that's pretty awesome to see though. That. Taylor, how about you? What what brands got your eye this week? Um, I found this cool company called Supermush. They call themselves the world's best superfood spray. It's a mushroom spray for your mouth. I know, very not Taylorish, but I like it because you know I always put you know mint in my mouth and stuff, and I love like the cannabis industry and all of that. So it's an interesting combo. Um. I, I, it's, you know, the, the founders, like two, uh, two people, a man and a woman. And I think they're like leading like the micro dosing community or something. And this is like their actual product launch. Um, it says they've condensed 20 grams of functional mushrooms and superfoods into an on the go daily mouth spray. I don't know about you guys. I've never, like, I have a weird I won't go into a whole diatribe. I love the taste of mushrooms. I am vehemently afraid of mushrooms. Like limes, mane, everything to do. If you look at a mushroom, if you see a mushroom plant, I get hives. So just thinking about spray. <laughs> I have, I have so much, so much daily hives. fear between your hairdresser and the mushrooms. <laughs> the phobia is just fucking Wait, right I up. Have, I, have I have a book for you, Taylor. I have a book for you. I'm going to send guys, it to you for Christmas. <laughs> Guys, you guys, best story, one second story. There was a mushroom plant. Every time I go on this thing, I think I don't talk about anything but weird stories. There was a mushroom plant behind my apartment in Boston. And I couldn't stop ruminating about this 
mushroom plant that was growing and growing and growing. It's freaking me out. So I called the cops. I called the cops and I said, you need to come to my backyard because I live near a school and I'm worried that it's a, a harmful fungi. <laughs> you need to get rid of it. And so anyway, they did. And if that's any indication, I'm not going to any of those cool mushroom fairs that are out there. So yeah. long-winded long story is I'm intrigued by mushrooms, but I'm also horribly afraid of mushrooms. So the idea of spraying proactively mushrooms in my mouth is just something I'm I'm, I'm looking into, but I have not tried. <laughs> I'm looking into, have not made the leap yet. Like, pro, like probably, you know, you've got cannabis, you've got you've got dev out, but you probably won't be adding psychedelics to your to your purview of. of uh, Anytime soon. Yeah, we gotta buy you like the 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 book, the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, and get really deep into like histories of, of mushrooms yeah. and stuff, yeah. and really yeah. like you really get into like your Joe Rogan. Yeah, the, ra the, you know, the, the reindeer, the reindeer urine because the reindeer find the mushrooms. It's like that 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 episode goes deep. I think oh. Oh. I think that, I think that we should consider doing an episode kind of like we did on Bev Alk, all on psychedelics. I've got a great guest that can come on, but we should at, at like at least two of us, and we shouldn't tell the listeners before should be on psychedelics <laughs> while recording. And we're not gonna be camp. I mean, so like, like, can tell the difference between it. between like <laughs> on psychedelics and just Taylor's normal stories. Like, yeah, I was gonna say I, maybe I'm not the one on psychedelics, but I highly doubt Cam would be. So I think it'd be me and TJ. And I think we all know it's gonna be me. Like let's let's just be honest. Yeah. Like, I think Cam needs to stay clear-minded to help lead the conversation. Yeah. I think that's where we're at. That's gonna be my greatest challenge is is narrating <laughs> is navigating both of you and the and the guests on that journey. But let me be your your like uh, Sherpa or whatever on your journey. Um, uh, CJ, how about you? What what brands kind of caught your attention? Um, I like I, I'm starting to see this everywhere. Like it's having a moment, and 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 I don't know if it's just because algorithms are dialing it in, but like I've always been a fan of um of uh, Dream Pops. Like especially yeah. and and like so I I bought a couple and they're delicious and and like I I somehow like different than Halo Top like eating an entire container of Dream Pops is like more satisfying and uh and it's all like like you know if you eat an entire like pint of ice cream it's like a thousand calories which you know doesn't mean I don't do it but eating an entire pint of of Dream Pops is only like it's under 300 calories. I don't know. I like, I, I, I love the marketing. I love the the flavors they're coming out with. I imagine that working in, in, in a frozen supply chain is just really, really hard. So I just like a lot of respect to that team for, for conquering that, but um, I'm all about it. They're, they're like, they're like bonbons. I don't really, I don't know how much it really matters to me that they're, they're plant-based. Um, but I think they do a good job and I think they're delicious. Yeah, I think the product's awesome too, and it's a big fan of the the, the team over there. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like uh, I thought. We thought it was gimmicky at first, like just like, hey, like, is it just like the value prop, the shape? And then I tried the product, and I was like, oh, this is like, yeah. Well, it, awesome. it was both. The value prop is the yeah. shape and how delicious it is. Like, it's like it's like good crisps. Hundred percent. Sorry, my dog is barking. I had to let him out of the room um yeah so no i i agree i love that brand i love the product and uh yeah it's like one of those things it's like kind of who cares it's plant based it's just very very delicious but i i mean i also consider how much we talk about plant-based like 
the who cares that it's plant-based, it's just delicious, is exactly the plant-based things that'll win. Yeah. Like, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter. I'm all for it, for sure. Um, awesome. So let's dive into the topics this week. This, we didn't have an episode last week, uh, so we kind of missed this topic. But obviously, like the big one was uh, curing Dr. Pepper, investing $50 million to Athletic Brewing. Big fans of Bill and the whole team at Athletic. We've been working with them for like three or four years now and, and always been a big fan of what they're building. Um, it looks like they are are really starting to kind of take over this space. I know they just um, they just launched Tesco stores in the UK. Uh, I believe they have now two plants like on the West Coast and the East Coast. So it really provides them an awesome advantage here uh, from an operations standpoint. And the product's killer. Like it, it's just an awesome product as well. So I don't know if we've talked that much about Athletic like on the pod before um, and kind of like where they're at right now. But, you know, CJ, we can kind of start with you. Like what were your thoughts kind of when you saw the news on this raise with a big kind of strategic coming in here into this round? And what do you kind of think the future for non-alc beer and Athletic specifically might be? Um, I think non-alc beer is definitely here to stay. Um, I think that when you look at the three different categories, like non-alc spirits, non-alc wine, non-alc beer, like in the world of we're, we're going to treat them like a- analogs or mimics, like non-alcoholic beer, just from a chemistry standpoint, is always going to be like superior, you know, superiorly close to its its analog than the others, just as a function of how, you know, fermentation and, and distillation work. Um, I think that athletic is the indisputable leader in in the non-alc beer space just from a, a premium standpoint a marketing standpoint like uh you know how it's positioned i think that there'll be other winners uh you know you know and, and us and many others are, are invested across the space but i think that we should all be thankful because it's thanksgiving time for stuff like like lighthouse brands like athletic that shine like that that make the whole category better um i'll touch on the the european part that you brought up like I, I think athletics growth is going to hockey stick even faster than people imagine. The non-alcoholic beer category in Europe is significantly more developed and mature than it is in the U.S. Um, and if you come in with these, but but there are none of, of like what I call the standard American craft offerings. So I think they're going to go in there and 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 do some damage very quickly. Um, on the KDP aspect, I think this is fascinating. Like a lot of ink has been spilled. And we've even done a lot of podcasts on like, okay, what's Coke doing in, in, you know, alcohol? What's Pepsi doing in alcohol? And like KDP has been relatively quiet. KDP has a massive war chest. Everybody forgets that they just have this coffee machine that is a relentless, like free cash flow generator that just pumps cash into their system. That if they want to go out and do acquisitions, they have, you know, one of the most powerful machines out there to do it. There's been a lot of talk about them them making a lot of acquisitions, up to $20 billion of acquisitions over the next five to 10 years. Um, I think that them coming here and saying, hey, listen, we have the distribution. Um, I think they absolutely snaked this from Pepsi. I think I think Pepsi and Blue Cloud made a mistake by not grabbing this because this is, this is the Lighthouse brand. This is the brand that you can't have any non-alcoholic set without. Um, and now I think KDP has set themselves up to over time potentially acquire this if Bill doesn't want to go public there. Um, they got the driver's seat, they'll get tested out in their distribution, they'll get to learn. Um, and I think I think that it's a major miss on Pepsi's part and a minor miss on Coke's part, not not being there. 
Because yeah, I, don't even, I don't even think there's another brand that's like baked out enough where you could go have an answer or response to this. Like Partake is probably the second biggest yeah, space. Like, it, I, and I, I, I love the product in Partake. I love it. And, and you know, uh, spoiler or, or caveat or whatever the word is, we are an investor in Partake. They're second, but the, like second in the the independent world, but it's a distant second. I was going to say the uh, chasm's pretty big there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, like you know, a, a lot of what I like to you know, if you quick rule of thumb is like, hey, can you have a set without? Can you have a non-elk set without partake? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, we like the thing that's going to get in most of them. Can you have a, a non-elk set without athletic? No. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's been the interesting thing. I mean, they just started like four, four and a half years ago. I mean, like, Bill was coming out like right when we started too. And it was like, I remember like, it was like a two-person show. Like at like that first Expo West, I saw them at like in 2019. And it's like to see the growth here and then like to realize like there's been no kind of second like or third brand that's been able to like continue to accelerate as fast as them has been pretty interesting because you usually yeah. see those people come up with those brands like, um you know in the set like i mean i i don't know the the spacing between like a gts and then like a health aid but i would assume like it's a probably a smaller kind of uh division than like athletic and that, that next bigger one which i I, I agree but it wasn't at the beginning so like the, the like what will happen is share uh, overall volume of the set will grow substantially athletic share will shrink but their nominal their nominal volume will continue to grow like crazy like like you know no one should pretend that that they're not the winner. I'll tell an, an, a funny story without naming any names. Um, but we were in the process of making an investment into a company, and they called us and said, "Hey, um, you know, a big chunk of the money that was promised to fill out this round just left because this syndicate of investors wants to invest in Athletic instead." And um, I should have taken that as a sign that, you know, this was, this was far enough back ago. This was like back in 2020. I, I should have dropped everything and tried to get in, 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 into athletic at that point, because I, I, I think they are a really, really powerful company. I think they have amazing marketing. For sure. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been awesome to see what the team over there has been able to build. Taylor, kind of what's your thoughts here? Obviously you're big in the uh, non-alc space. Uh, athletics kind of the godfather here in the non-alc beer space. What were your thoughts on like KDP coming in to this and then, um, you know, do you work like uh, with any other non-alc beers and kind of like what's their thoughts on kind of like what athletics building out here in the space? I think it's really exciting. I agree with CJ. I mean, it's like, I think they, you know, they came in kind of out of nowhere and I think this was a huge win for them, uh, to take this on. And I think it makes sense for both parties. I think there's obviously a lot that, you know, Bill and the team will be able to leverage from their company and vice versa. Right. I think it speaks to just the general appetite for this. And, I, I, you know, I always say with like on the non-elk side, you saw you've been seeing kind of this like insane uptick in brands coming to market. And I, you know, am talking with or working with and been approached by most of these companies. And I don't think they're all going to last. I think there will be like, I don't mean to be whatever, but like trimming of the fat to a certain degree where, you know, the ones that get capital and get strategic partnerships like this and get on menus and get on shelves and, you know, are the brands featured at weddings and, you know, venues, those are going to be the brands that survive. All these brands are not going to last. Right. And I think that they've athletic just came out the gate. I've, I, I too have known Bill since kind of the beginning of all of this. And I interviewed him, I think even on clubhouse flashback, flashback a few years ago. <laughs> and, 
his, you know, his team said You loved Clubhouse, Taylor. You loved it. I was, I was the queen of Clubhouse, man. I miss that. When people make fun of it on Twitter, I like don't get involved because I have thoughts. But um, but no, I think I think you know they've just consistently created a product that that's just really strong and. Uh, you know, they've over time expanded their portfolio to, you know, adapt to consumer needs and changing, you know, direction. And, but they've, they've stayed true to what they're doing. They just, you know, added on more varietals that, that really work and continue to check the box for consumers who want to have beer and they just don't want alcoholic beer. So I think, you know, they're a prime example of like, is this category here to stay? Like, yeah, hundred percent. And it's not going anywhere. It, but are all of these brands going to last? No, but I think that their bill is here. And I agree. Like I also in transparency, I too work with partake. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm working with Bill, um, with Ted and their team. And I think when it comes to, you know, other brands, I think that obviously we're all saying the same thing. Like there isn't anyone directly behind Bill. I think they're all carving their way and there will be some brands like partake that I do think will stay on shelves and they have yeah. different yeah. Partake has incredible liquid, and it's a, it's yeah. a good proposition. Like I, I don't right. think I, we but we both love Partake. We're not like to acknowledge to acknowledge the category leadership of Athletic doesn't denigrate the rest of the category. A hundred percent, and I yeah. think that there'll be multiple ones per every subset. Like I think there's gonna I'll, I'll stop there, but like within like the functional beverages, I think there'll be a few that remain on top with non-alcoholic beers, non-alcoholic spirits. I think there will be like an athletic in these different subcategories within non-alcoholic leaders. And I think they're just a prime example within, you know, the wider category they're leading, not only across non-alcoholic beer, but across all of this non-alcoholic space as a best practice. It's almost like, it's almost like new categories almost always go solid leader, strong challenger, kind of distant third. <laughs> like, oh, well, it's almost like CPG breaks out that way. I don't know. Wild. Um, I, I do think that that um, like things like Bud Bud zero point zero, like while it can seem to make a lot of sense on the face of it, like Budweiser as a master brand is contracting. It's losing consumers, um, and and it's not only losing consumers because they're becoming sober curious. It's a much larger set, subset of that. So like I, I think a lot a lot of this category has to shake out. And be and led by new incumbents, but like if you actually look at all the press releases around the KDP buy, like it also highlights that KDP has invested in a lot of small, like spirits and like spirit RTD things. Like I, I, I believe, just as a function of how corporate innovation and mergers and acquisition go, those are much less likely to succeed because of how early they were invested in by KDP. Like, like you know, major suppliers for the most part, have the most success when they wait until category dominance is established and then pay up and then put it into their distribution machine. Right. Like, you know, just like, like I just, I've never seen it consistently work any other way. And the people who accept that are the best acquirers, a la Diageo. Um, so I, I, I think it would be the same thing here. Like I think KDP did whatever it took to get the, 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 the clear leader and now everybody else is going to have to figure it out, figure it out themselves. I mean, I know I haven't seen the data, but like, is like Heineken Zero or Budweiser Zero? I mean, are they like included in that athletic being number one, or is that removing them? I, I, I I've seen it. Like, like, I think it's almost always, you know, 
fairly self-serving. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if by true, by true, and I don't have those numbers, like, you know, by true volume, like they're one, one of the things, like Heineken zero might be number one. So I, I, yeah. I think when people talk about number one, they break out independence and then rank and then owned by the majors. But I, I, I bet even, I bet even if you combine them all together, high noons, or not high noon, uh, athletics probably got the, the fastest growth rate. Um, oh, yeah. Easily, yeah. But, but, but fastest growth rate caveated with like a reasonable share. Like there might be someone who's you know growing super fast off a small base. You know, it's, we're not talking about like going from zero to two percent, and that's what's like that's what's yeah. showing you is the fastest growing. It's like they actually have meaningful ACV, and they're still growing on top of that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No. Very excited um, to continue to kind of watch their growth. Excited to see partake in these other players in the space. Um, I think this is just kind of the start for the category. And I think people are going to want more options than just the one. So that's kind of the way most beer drinkers approach regular beer. And so uh, I don't think like the time has dwindled on all these other um, non-alc beer brands. And I think I, that's probably the one option for non-alc that I'm the biggest believer in, because like you said, CJ, it's, it's most similar to what you're buying on a regular basis. All right, let's go into uh, Erewhon. So Erewhon uh, in a vitamin brand called Parallel. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled a little bit different. Um, collaborated for an in-store collaboration. We talked about Erewhon a few episodes ago about how they were allowing brand uh, people to try a brand in, um, in-store and then also subscribe uh, to that brand in-store as well. And like the really cool innovative idea was just kind of pushing in-store subscriptions. Um, like this brand too, again, Air One's really trying to position themselves as being the better for you, uh, healthy grocer, especially in this side, uh, of the West coast and with LA and everything. And kind of, that's where their eight locations are at. So I was really interested to see them do their first in-store brand collaboration. Um, I was kind of surprised it was their first, uh, if you look at the branding and the packaging, it looks very much like Air One. Uh, super bougie. Uh, I think this will probably fly off the shelves. You know that the positioning is going to be really good for this product. It's going to be right at checkout. And I'm interested to see if more kind of these mid-market local grocers that these brands want to be in, a la you know, Erewhon or uh, Metro Market or Central Market or any of these kind of regional players start to move in this direction. So Taylor, let's start with you. Kind of what were your thoughts on the collaboration? And do you think these types of in-store brand collaborations are something that brands maybe should start approaching retailers more about. Yeah, it, it, I, I was actually looking at Foxtrot last week who've done like some really interesting collaborations with like local whiskey makers in Chicago. And so, I don't know, I think if they, they have brands that are doing well, that are like, you know, locally based or even like on a national level that they think could add something to what they're doing. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I also was interested in like the comment around the strategy where they were saying, look, like we feel a need because we heard from them, from Erwan that, you know, there are a lot of people shopping in that particular section. And so they, they, they base this based on, you know, consumer interest and what they're already, you know, have within the store. So it's kind of like, okay, well, let's, we already see that the people are in this particular aisle and there's interest there and their sales there. Like, how do we then take it to the next level? And so I think, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I said, I saw it even like on the Bev outside recently, like Foxtrot's doing a ton of these interesting kind of partnerships too. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting thing. And also from a brand perspective, thinking through like, not only how do we fit into these types of stores, but thinking outside of the box, I always like ask the brands that I work with as well, like think a little bit bigger, like even if they are not open to it, like think of collaboration ideas and partnership ideas 
worst case they shoot it down but it seems like now is the time to you know come up with concepts like that and you never know what may stick i mean they're not like an old brand they're pretty new to market from what i saw so it's a really good opportunity for for the company and i think it's a really interesting collaboration so yeah i think if you have the bandwidth for this right like to update your packaging uh, and create like a, a custom assort, uh, assortion for a retailer. Like it's great. Like I kind of wonder like how much, even though it's Erewhon, right. And everyone thinks like that's a priority. Like at the end of the day, it is eight stores. So it's like doing a custom pack and all of this for eight stores. It's definitely like making sure still on the brand side that it's worth for it, worth it for you long time, long-term. But yeah, I mean, retailers are just trying to get people into the stores post COVID. So like, if you can think of creative collaborations that are going to get new customers into the store for these retailers, I think it's a really good approach for them. Um, CJ, what was your thoughts? I know you were super intrigued when we talked about the subscription kind of service in Erewhon. What are your thoughts about this kind of partnership? And, and do you feel like how much lift it probably was on the brand side to get this accomplished is going to be, you know, worth it long-term? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, it really kind of depends on what Erewhon is trying to be. Like going back to that, you know, you know, my fascination with Erewhon, maybe like foregoing slotting fees for getting you know long-term revenue from the form of subscription. Like if Erewhon's trying to be like at scale, the most profitable, we'll just call it grocery store, even though they might balk at being stuck in the grocery channel, the most profitable natural specialty retailer per location, then they're doing an amazing job. And then this kind of fits right in there. Like to your point on, you know, is the lift right for the brand? Like it's definitely right for Erewhon because, and, and I'd also love to know how this fits in with their overall private label strategy. Like it doesn't seem like Erewhon is trying to go nuts on private label. Um, the way that like a, a Whole Foods like makes its, it makes its P&L on private label. Um, you know, more, more so than, and, and same with Sprouts, like more so than, than Kroger and, and, and Albertson Safeway. Um, so I, I, I'd be curious, like what their long-term strategy is there. Like, whereas a Foxtrot, which is the same place that my, my brand went to Taylor, like, I think they, I, I think Foxtrot has a very large ambition for private label. Um, I think that, and I think they have a much larger footprint ambition than Erewhon. So I, th I think I think you have to read all these things in context of like of like what the business model is. So if 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 and this is all based on speculations, not like I've seen a special Erewhon deck flipping around. But if Erewhon is what I think it is, which is relentlessly pursuing profit per location and with no you know no intention to ever be you know 200, 300, 400 locations, then I think this fits perfectly in the strategy, and I think it's probably worth it for some consumers like it's 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 no different than doing a collab with with a major influencer um that that's how important everyone is in, in the system and as long as you look at the economics that way um then I, I i don't see why it would be any different from the brand yeah we talked about like a you know, how retailers are trying to like kind of accomplish being like a third space we think we talked about like two episodes ago i think cj you're off on that episode but like um, I think like Erewhon can accomplish that, right? It's like, it's kind of like you're going in, you're finding new brands, like you're spending lunch there. Now it's like you're helping beauty stop. Like there's a lot of things like where you can like dedicate an hour or two out of your day to like go to Erewhon as your third place between like your office, if there is one or like your home. So I think Erewhon's accomplishing a lot there. Um, I think it's just interesting to see kind of like what's, what's next. And they obviously picked a really strong high margin product here with vitamins. That's probably going to test really well. And I think they're going to move a ton of it. 
uh, I think it's just interesting to see how brands and and other regional retailers are going to get to approach this kind of partnership because they just don't have the same cachet as an arrow one. Well, I mean, it's like, like, I think, you know, again, Foxtrot's very illustrative here and Target's really illustrative. Like I've spent a lot of time in Target recently because I've been surveying some some stuff in there and like, you know, they, they figured out amazingly how to do, you know, you know, not just private label, but also collabs at scale. Um, and and I and, and I suspect too that that Erwan, like maybe will tip their hat to them, but doesn't have in, in, any ambition of of doing it that that large, and and they and they focus way more on the profitability rather than the PR. Um, but I'd love to learn more. If anybody if anybody works for Erwan and wants to talk to me about their strategy, I'll, I'll pay you for your time. Cool, like, open up. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, moving on to the next uh, kind of topic, it was you sent over more of a conversation um, versus a like article for this, but uh, Spotify kind of did a deep dive with their CPG team, which I was kind of surprised they have a CPG team, um, kind of talking about like Gen Z and what they're resonating with and how these larger brands can kind of go after them. And really the one thing that they kind of kept hammering home was uh, Gen Z is like very infatuated with kind of old school aesthetics and styles. They really enjoy retro products. They like when kind of the brands that they grew up with, or even their parents might've grown up with kind of come back with updated packaging. And they really also on top of that, like customization, I think you're seeing a lot of that, like in the packaging that's coming out for new and emerging brands as well. Uh, and then you're seeing a lot of that with like Cheez-Its is a brand that keeps coming to mind because they, they're like all over about how well they're doing and kind of their repositioning has been doing and they're such a winner brand for them right now. Like uh, I thought it was really interesting that like that old school retro aesthetic is kind of what Gen Z is prioritizing um, and just kind of thought it might be interesting to, to open up a conversation about like how brands that we're all working with are kind of targeting Gen Z. I think you heard millennial, millennial, millennial for the last 10 years. Uh, and now that focus is starting to shift. But CJ, from an investment strategy standpoint, I mean, brands that are coming in, are you hearing brands kind of like say as a beachhead, like, hey, we're going after Gen Z and this is how? Um, I, I I think you have to be really careful to separate the ability for brands that have existed for decades to access their archives and find like, like, like legitimate aesthetics from the time that is being being treated as nostalgic versus brands that are leaning into it right now for potentially an, an immediate, you know, like an immediate dopamine, you know, equivalent of a dopamine hit with yeah. consumers, but then they will not be timeless as a function of that. Right. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest difference. Like, I mean, you, you know how much of a big fan I am of like demographic based investing, like what was cool 30 years ago is, is always going to be a rolling hit. Um, like it just, that's just the way it works. Like if you, if you, if you look at the way people are dressing, like if, if I could go, if, if I, if a, if I fit and B, if I could go find like all of like the, the, the stuff that I have from the, the nineties, um, like, and, and, and one fashion for both men and women, like that's all what's back. Um, and so I, I, I think, I think people kind of neglect that, like this level of articles and tropes, like it will always exist. Like in, in, you know, in, in about 20 years, there will be an article about how, oh my gosh, Gen Alpha is is starting to to look like things that were that were 2000s that were that were hot in the 2000s versus versus the 90s and 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 before. So I just I think it's a pretty pretty standard trope that exists as a function of generation gaps 
and this roughly 30 year time frame that that rolls all the way through so that's a long way of saying it's great if you're if you're a brand that already has that and you can authentically do it i think it's less a strategy if, if you don't you need to be forging a a less look back oriented look um in order in order to make yourself a timeless brand yeah, I see that all the time. Like you walk Expo West and you can see brands that like just went so hardcore into like the one aesthetic versus like instead of being kind of carry and then build on top of. And you see like that like 70s, 80s branding for a new and emerging brand. And although it looks great out the gate, it is really tough to maintain that brand look uh, and then build on top of um, without it become kind of tiring to the to the end consumer for sure. Taylor, what were your thoughts kind of like on the points brought up here? And then do you see any of your brands like creatively trying to figure out ways to kind of target Gen Z through their branding and, and their approach? I think I've seen a lot of people that either are in market that are like refreshing their branding potentially to accommodate um, with, you know, I think actually from what I've seen more is like, less about like we're targeting this demo and maybe it's just, it's obviously a subjective comment, but I've actually seen more people kind of come to me being like, we want to own a certain occasion setting. So it's like less like I'm interested in this like person under third. I never hear that actually recently. And maybe that's just where I sit. I have no idea, but it's more like we want to own effort, you know, a happy hour or we want to own the morning or we want to own the lunch. So I don't know. That's just my two cents is like, I've been seeing more brands that are either in market or coming to market that are less focused on like, I'm trying to target people under X age, but more like I'm trying to own a moment in time or an experience or a feeling or an occasion, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think, uh, I think too, it's like, I think we'll see that kind of over the next few years, a little bit more as like, the brands that are being built are being built by Gen Z entrepreneurs. So I think probably most of the, the entrepreneurs we're talking to are probably kind of in that millennial range. So as younger entrepreneurs come out with newer brands, like maybe it's going to be a little bit more of a focus. But I did think like the importance here and like the focus on retro and old school brand aesthetics does open up like these larger kind of brands. Like we just talked about Budweiser, right? Like you talk about a brand that has an awesome Rolodex of like old school, like imagery and branding and things like that. Now the issue is it's like the product inside and like the category being beer is probably the issue. Um, but like, I, I think there's a ton of brands out here that definitely can um, access that and, and access that um, kind of trend for these, for these Gen Z consumers for sure. The last thing that I'd say here too, Cam, is because you, you did talk about customization. That is something I am seeing a lot. And I think that we're going to see it quite a bit more going forward because they're, they're again, sometimes it just takes a basic unlock of, of, of what seems like pretty boring technology, but like the amount of low... MOQ digital print technology that I'm seeing out there that can be like, you know, really high quality, but able to drive customization. I, I think you're going to start to find that seeping its way into, into, into large brands. I, you know, I, I think that, I think the, the Cokes and the Fritos and the Pepsis of the world are going to figure out really quickly that, that, that Gen Z does love this idea of, I want this thing that's slightly nostalgic and is a brand, but I want to express myself a little bit more through it. And if, if the technology is going to allow for that and the willingness to pay appears to be there, um, you, you, you might see a lot more people lean into this idea of like, 
you know, how, how do we reward our community through customization as opposed, you know, through loyalty points or something else, you know, the, the, the more individualization, the better. So all of a sudden you're going to see, you know, stuff that, that you, you, you know, you know, putting your, putting your name on a Coke is going to, is going to be like, the least customized way you're going to be able to do this. I, I think they're just going to, you know, the collaborations. And I don't, what that takes is a supply chain unlock and, and a distribution unlock. And I think, I think that's getting there. Yeah. So we're, we're now full circle with NFTs. Uh, <laughs> we well, started... that's, that's the cool, I mean, like to me, like NFTs, sure. You, you know, the, 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 there was a, a lot of, of hype there, but like the underlying aspect of like people being focused relentlessly on value for a community like I don't think Gen Z is going to let go of that. They might not want monkey pictures, but like I think I think they they they're going to want the ability to customize and prove ownership. Yeah, I think I think it's not going to be enough for them just to like uh, buy the product and get rewarded, and it, they're going to need some sort of like unlock where they feel like they're appreciated past just kind of that baseline. Um, I think for sure it's kind of like the that's what the money is for like quote from like Mad Men it's like you need more <laughs> than just like the basics right to feel appreciated yeah. and so um, I kind of feel like that that's that's super important here and being able to do customization for them um, at a whim and do like these LTOs like I think is um, super awesome I was like um, it's kind of funny so so um, Vasa who's the founder over at Perfy we've talked about their brand quite a bit they do like a superfood functional soda they he did like a he didn't actually do like the run of the product but he's like you know i really like um i really love following paul voge over Ourobora. so he made like a custom can for like paul that was like paul it was called i saw beard. this yeah it's like paul's oh my beard. god i saw this yeah it was <laughs> it, crazy that, that was the flavor yeah. was just paul's beard and like things like that right it, that's just a design aesthetic he's probably not actually pushing out a can of that which he, he should also if you're listening you should definitely push that out but um, yeah, doing one-off things like that, like even for for marketing or like, you know, like for your buyer or whatever, like it's it's pretty awesome if you have that that option. And we we covered that one. I forget that beverage company that um, I think you guys actually invested in that do 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 the Alex. custom, yeah, yeah. Um, things like that. I mean, um, are awesome to see, and you can see why Gen Z is is resonating with that for sure. Well, I mean, when, when you look at when you look at how old brands want to stay relevant like so like you guys have heard me say this till i'm blue in the face like all like all going to the market is is awareness trial repeat evangelism um and everybody in new brand world is caught up on how do you do awareness and trial as, as well they should be right because you can't get the rest of the chain until you do the front chain like if like where, where I think that the the older brands can fight back, you know, beyond you know to some degree addressing some of the better for you and health trends that are coming up in plant based, like they can lean really heavily into repeat and evangelism. And if you and, and like that, that that's where these tools get really sexy, like Alex or or anything that you know what Perfect just did. Like if you all of a sudden say no, like 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 you can have the Dr Pepper you've always wanted. But here's the way we're going to customize it through both package and 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 product. Um, then you have a, a much you potentially are, are refreshing brands that might be getting a little bit um, lower growth. And it's 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 a really fascinating way to look at the at the the go to market system. Yeah, very very interesting for sure. Um, Taylor, should I transition with a? We will definitely continue to monitor that situation. <laughs> I guess uh, so. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 
What's the quote, Taylor? It's, uh, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I guess we'll see. We'll see okay. what happens. We'll yeah, see we'll see what happens. happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. You can never be wrong if you just say, we'll see what happens. Um, going into our last topic. So one of the topics <laughs> we talked about until we'll move in the face is 30-minute delivery. Uh, we're not going to talk about kind of the bloodbath that some of those companies have had in terms of, of um, you know, kind of letting go a lot of their staff and kind of restructuring. Um, instead, I really wanted to focus on... Um, which I think is a really good application is some of the grocery stores trying to do this themselves. Um, I think we've seen it a lot with convenience stores offering 30 um, minute delivery. Uh, but now recently like Schnucks came out, which is a really, uh, I think it's like a hundred plus store regional chain um, came out with that as well uh, to be able to deliver convenience items, household essentials, snacks, things like that. Uh, and also Walmart Canada is piloting, piloting as well. And so I think that this is actually a really good application for it is for these emer um, kind of these mid-market uh, regional retailers to kind of start pushing that out. Um, I think it's it's a great way for them to, to push products. It's a great way to make them available um, to new consumers. Uh, but Taylor, let's start with you. Kind of, do, how do you like this application? Uh, you know, would you buy from your local grocery if they offered this kind of um, option? And do you feel like this is a little bit more sustainable than you know, GoPuff and things like that, where they have to just buy their customer at such an expensive clip. I mean, my biggest issue with like a GoPuff is, I mean, I still use GoPuff, but I feel like the options, I'm just speaking from like a consumer lens. I feel like the options are, even though it, it, they still come fast, not as fast as they did, like the options are very limited. Like I'm not looking for Cheetos and floss all the time. Like I want, <laughs> I want other things. So I think, um, I think the the general concept makes sense and I, I would definitely leverage it. And I think it's also like from a competition perspective, like a lot of these places do offer kind of more of that expansive offering of things that we, we need more day to day. And my issue with any of those kind of fast deliveries is that just, I don't know, that's just my opinion. I don't, and I'm, I'm the queen of like nostalgic crap food that like <laughs> is the genesis of uh, a la GoPuff, but um, I don't know. I just feel like every time I'm looking to use those platforms, I always know that I probably still need to use like another retailer platform because it doesn't really have everything that I want. Um, so I see it as competition and I see it as something that I'll definitely be using and understand why they're doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, I view it as like a really awesome revenue vertical for these, for these retailers. I think like you're looking at as another, we, we talk a lot about retail advertising here. Like it's basically another retail advertising play. Like, Hey, do you want to push your brand out to our audience? That's trying and ordering 30 minute delivery. You're just giving something to the brands that you can charge them for again. Uh, which again, like at the end of the day, that's where the retailers making most of their money is just these upcharges and line items to the brand. So I think it's a big opportunity for them if they can prove traction and that people are actually buying this product. Like, hey, you want to be on promotion at our store? Great. Why don't you boost that promotion with also like delivering a message to all of our uh, 30 minute delivery customers? So um, yeah, I think it's a cool play and I agree with you. Like it's, it's just, a, they have a much larger inventory than GoPuff. Um, and so you're going to be able to get a wider variety of, of stuff at the end of the day. Um, CJ, how about you? Um, I, I, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm now a pretty frequent user of Dash Marts. And like, when I think about this theoretically, and I can only pontificate for so long because I do have to leave, have a hard stop today. Like, I think it's, I think you nailed it first it's customer acquisition. Then it's, do you have the install base of drivers to actually make it quick and convenient? And then do you have like, 
a a purpose built picking and packing system and and this this is why i think that like and and, and I, I want to spend some more time on this but i actually believe that doordash is is beating everyone very very badly because they have the install base right a lot of people have doordash on their phone way more people have doordash on their phone than have gopuff all right so like that's the harder battle to win than doordash then going and, and because a lot of people have it on their phone and a lot of people use it for food they have the driver install base so they, they're 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 very competitive there if you have those two things it is not that hard to go build dash marts that nobody can walk into, which are designed for picking and packing, which is way more convenient than having an Uber Eats or an Instacart person walk into a 7-Eleven or even a grocery store and try and do this. And you can you can solely focus on the 500 items or 1,000 items that you want to stock, not the you know 4,500 4, items that Walmart has on Instacart. Um, and so you, you, you get better service all the way across. Your picking and packing is better. Your stocking is better. Your driving is better. And your customer acquisition is better. So like I, I add all those things up and I say, you know, you know, back to my prior argument, if Amazon is trying to figure out how to get you 5 million things within, you know, within a day, they're going to win that. DoorDash seems to have every single advantage on, on this. Like, I just don't understand how local grocery store X beats that. Like they they don't they don't have the install base. Yeah, they have you as a consumer, but your app's not on their phone. They don't they don't have the drivers, unless unless they're going to farm it out through an API through DoorDash. In which case, DoorDash gets a cut anyways, and they're winning. And they don't and they don't have a custom built um, you know you know actual physical facility that's more oriented towards picking and packing than it is to groceries. Like again, tell me five years from now, how do they withstand DoorDash? Yeah, I think that that it's just going to make more sense to just go strictly through DoorDash. It, it just doesn't make sense for them to be able to do it all themselves. Um, and it's the same reason why, like, they're most of these retailers just went straight to Instacart instead of building out themselves. Like, they have the shoppers, they have the drivers, they have the infrastructure. And sure, you can build it out, but it's going to take a lot longer and it's going to be a lot more expensive. Yep. Awesome. Well, that was episode 40 in the books. Uh, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Taylor, good luck with the French onion soup stuffing. And we will see everybody next week with a guest. Uh, we actually have guests for the next three episodes. So excited to end the year out strong. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thankful for both of you. Have a good one.